0: As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards. And they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven world champions at the ICF Worlds last year, and all of them were using their Lima paddle range. They continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavors of the sport, including adventure. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Welcome to SUP FM, the sport's leading podcast, where we speak to inspiring people from the fastest growing water sport in the world. Our aim is to help you maximise your own experiences of stand up paddleboarding and to deepen your love of the water as we chat with people from both inside and outside the SUP world. Every episode is designed to inspire, support, and provide you with a deeper immersion through my conversations with leading athletes scientists adventurers ted speakers and new york times best-selling authors if you like what we do there are plenty of ways to support the podcast including telling your friends following us on social media you can even buy me a coffee on patreon or you could leave us a review on apple Podcasts, which will help others to find us whatever you can do we appreciate it This episode is part of our Yukon 1000 mini season, where we do a deep dive over several episodes into the ultimate adventure race challenge and the longest paddle race on the planet. Where we'll talk to the race organisers, teams and individual paddlers in the lead up, in the start town, just ahead of the race and after the finishing line. Closely following what many describe as a truly epic odyssey of a race.
1: Welcome to the Yukon One Thousand,
2: the world's longest paddle race.
0: Could you introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, hi, Craig Sawyer, and I'm competing in this year's Yukon One Thousand alongside my paddle partner and good friend Skip Innes from the Surrey Hills Adventure Club, or the Shack, as many of you will know it as.
0: So this gives me a chance to back up a bit and explain how this mini season, all about the Yukon One Thousand, started. Craig's been someone I've been aware of together with Skip as fixtures in the UK SUP scene for many years, doing lots of interesting stuff. But I met him face to face for the first time at Brendan Prince's SUP 12, which I was co-presenting. And we had a chat, we got on and we were talking about Yukon 1000. And that's where the idea for this season first came about, because it's a pretty special race. That's always fascinated me because... It's in a true wilderness. It's a true test. And without getting too romantic about it, it's a proper physical and mental odyssey that really changes people. But before we got into any of the deep stuff, I asked Craig about his other role. Okay, so not only are you taking part in the Yukon 1000 this year, but you're also wearing another hat because you're also doing media coverage of the race. Just tell us about that and, and what you've got planned this year.
2: Yeah, so it's um it's it's an interesting one. Um my background as well as obviously sup racing and paddling and the fitness side is I have a, a production company, uh, a film production agency uh, which I've run for the last 15 years. So I've always been into content creation and content production, um more so around corporate on a day-to-day basis, but uh any opportunity to, to do it around the sport or adventure I like to snap up. And um so, I've been quite involved with the Yukon 1000 for the last three or four years um, since being accepted back in uh, August 2019. Um, and last year, uh, while spending time out in Alaska uh, with John and the rest of the team uh, from Yukon 1000, I was doing some filming, to be honest, just for myself on the side. Um, Skip and I made it to the finish of the race and we filmed every team coming in. Uh, and I kind of put together a little edit as a thank you to John, the team, and and it kind of like spiral from there. Really, um, it, t- it transpired that uh, John had been approached quite a few times by different agencies looking to make a documentary on the on the race. Um, and up until last year, the, the people approaching John were they wanted to have boats on the water, helicopters in the sky, and the, the, the whole thing about the race is once you leave Whitehorse, you are on your own. The teams, you are on your own. There's no support. There's no fallback. And John, as I understand it, always just been hesitant um, to have the like Netflix-esque teams zooming up and down rivers with helicopters. Just basically ruining it for the races. You know, it, it, he didn't want he didn't want any of the filming to impact the experience the races would have. Um, and we got to, we actually started chatting about it actually while sitting on the beach at the finish line um, of Dalton Highway in Alaska. And John kind of floated the idea around. Perhaps maybe I would like to look at looking at doing the. a a Yukon documentary, Um, he was fully aware that every year more content is being produced by teams. At some point, in the past, there wasn't much content, but as we know with cameras and kit these days, after every race now, there's more and more out there. And it it just seemed a right time to do something official, um, to kind of uh, control the narrative is probably the wrong way, but just to to strike while the on top where there's a lot of interest in the race, where we have the opportunity to do something that no one's done. So, yeah, a few calls after the race, um, September, October time, uh, we agreed to join John the team and take on producing the official Yukon 1000 documentary.
0: That's so exciting. And and from someone on the water as well. So how is that structured then? Because obviously no helicopters, no boats on the water. You'll be filming from your boat. How are you getting the other coverage? So that's
2: an interesting one. So the way we've looked at the documentary is... Uh, not making it about a particular year so this is not the 2023 yukon 1000 documentary this is a a documentary that celebrates the race its heritage where it started the roots, some of the some of the original teams um you know i've read stories back in 2009 there wasn't a cut-off for example there wasn't a 10-day cut-off and sometimes the organizers would be waiting at the finish line for three four weeks for the last team to come meandering across the finish line and i'm the more we looked into it, the more these really fascinating, interesting stories into the people that have done the race previously, their backgrounds, uh, the parts of the world they come from, the experience they had, and the experiences they had while racing. Um, so we uh, are looking at it as a, uh, an opportunity to celebrate the, the, the race since its inception. Um, so that involves uh, interviewing the original Yukon uh, 1000 owner who started it, uh, Peter Coates. We're going to be interviewing with him. In Whitehorse, in the week before the race, uh, previous races, we've been speaking to around the world, getting their footage and photos, finding out their stories, finding story strands, uh, all at the same time as keeping up to date with the teams for the 2023 race, so we can start getting through some pre-filming of their training and their preparation. There's a lot of work going on before the race starts, both in collating hours of content in in hundreds of formats, um, varying qualities, you can imagine. Trying to pick out story strands and things that would be interesting, um, and also these elements were well, be quite polished. You know, we have control over those to a certain degree. Obviously, I can't be flying around the world, unfortunately, filming with the team from New Zealand or the, and the team from Alberta. And then, so, there's a, there's a kind of leaning on favours and friends and contacts they may have as well. But we're kind of collating this content, um, and then, but obviously, I think it's Pete Coates. Uh, put it so eloquently when I was talking to an email and I asked him, could you send me any footage and photos you've got uh, from the date, the years when you were running it? And he said, like, well, I have a look, but you know, people leave and then people arrive. And, and that for him is an organizer. He waves them off at Whitehorse or the, the race leaves Whitehorse. It arrives at Dalton Highway Bridge and a thousand miles of stuff happens that only the teams will know um so i thought it was a really nice way of putting it so obviously we're now going to be leaning very much heavily on user-generated content and the content created by the team teams that are out there racing so what does that look like um well it's a case of edge helping the teams understand what angles look good you know good places to to mount a gopro on a canoe the you know (laughs) film landscape not not portrait please um you know film the work, the bad times as well as the good, you know, when you're at your lowest and probably the last thing you want to be doing is pulling out a camera and sticking it in your mate's face, but, but do it. <laughs> because, because they're the special moments, you know, if I look at the footage, the footage I'm getting sent from last year's races, um, the stuff that really is emotion, has a emotive tug and things like that is, is the highs and the lows, you know, the seeing someone almost in tears in a tent, you know, talking about their day really brings home, yeah, you know, what the race is about, and what they've gone through that day. So, so yeah, there's an element of um, historic asset management of stuff ranging from photos to videos to you know all the archival stuff. There's the stuff I shot last year in the times I was over there, uh, and then there's the stuff we as, as my team can create and, and capture. So, spending a week in Whitehorse before the race, interviewing the teams for 2023, um, and then just Everyone leaves the beach in Whitehorse and, you know, and then at the end we see what we get. Um, but I think there's like, it's, well, there is like two or three spots where the road gets near to the river. So we're trying to plan to have someone to be able to get some shots coming through Five Fingers, you know, Dawson, the halfway cutoff. Um, but it's certainly not going to involve boats on in the water, helicopters in the sky. You know, it's 99, Once that once you leave Whitehorse, you know, we're going to get to see it from the eyes of, of the races. Um, so, one of the other really important things to us and the organizers when it comes to putting this documentary together is also focusing on uh, climate change and how it's affecting the river and the people and the towns and the, and the communities that it goes through. Um, the last two years, they've had a once in a hundred year flood, um, in, you know, two years running. Um, that's having a huge impact on the river and the people and the livelihoods um, of the people so we're hoping to we, we want to do it with absolute utmost respect as well to the first nations people along the river so we're consulting with them um, getting them to kind of support us and supply stuff you know i've been speaking to uh, hydrologists in dawson about the river and what it's doing and why it's doing what it's doing and they can kind of estimate what the river might do in july based on how the snowfall is in in december and where it's falling as well so it's really interesting stuff so i think it's threading in that element as well to, to show that there's you know there's so much that goes into paddling a thousand miles down the Yukon, um, you know, from its people, the river, the climate, and the crazy people that are uh,
0: who do decide it. to take it on. And and just on that subject, climate change, as you said um i mean as we speak i think there were some um villages that were, were flooded um the yukon broke its banks and last year yeah. as well there were the wildfires as well which luckily didn't it affect things too much you must have come across them
2: absolutely i mean it's i mean the the, the two elements the river breaking up is quite incredible to see um we're still trying to source some great video clips. Actually, you I mean, there's, there's there's clips online as it breaks up, but the noise it makes, the, the the volume of water that over the winter is just frozen solid into a motorway of ice and snow when it starts moving, and you start to see it hit the sheer power, um, and um, yeah, which is incredible. And so I've I've lost my strand there. So there's the the river moving. Uh, Wildfires, yeah, so yeah. So, you know, it's incredible seeing the river in the winter and in the summer, um, you know, wildfires are a massive thing. You know, they, they have to, just, most of them just get left to burn out. Um, again, some of the footage of uh, the races across the years, you know, it, it you know the sky is almost is black with a slight little orange ball, which is the sun. Um, I mean, it's, it's, re- it's the reason why some of the kit list includes things like, uh, you know, industrial-grade smoke masks and swimming goggles. Um, you've got that. That, you know there's the wildfires raging and blowing across the river you can't see anything uh, and in fact this year or well, in 2023 was effectively do you think of the Yukon River flying up into Alaska there's a road the two roads that I call them roads but they're more just dust tracks and they kind of they go either side quite a distance and halfway at one of them it was just closed because there's a wildfire can get through so 1,000, you 800-mile detour back around the other side. Or sometimes you could follow a fire truck through. They'll lead the way. So you just follow the blue flashing lights. But it's, the, the wildfires are crazy. Um, you see it hanging in the air um, in Fairbanks uh, at the finish line. It was very hard to get hotel rooms uh, in Fairbanks City to fly, before flying home because they were full with firefighters coming in from around the country to fight. The, the the wildfires that are kind of nearer any settlements as well so yeah it's daunting and scary uh, mother nature at its at its strongest um but yeah it's, it's it's fascinating to see
0: we'd like to thank baltic life jackets for returning as episode sponsors this season Baltic designed and developed their SUP Elite PFDs to solve two key problems facing stand-up paddlers. The slim down front panel makes it easier to climb back on your board and the ergonomic cutaways around the arms accommodate the SUP Stroke, allowing you to paddle freely without restriction to the point that you hardly notice you're even wearing it. The SUP Elite also incorporates storage and the option to add a hydration pack, which is perfect for the summer. So check out the SUP Elite and the SUP Pro PFDs at your local stockist or at supfmpodcast.com forward slash Baltic Looking to take your performance to the next level then look no further than Ocean Specific Introducing the Strike Series VRX the ultimate sup paddle designed for maximum power and efficiency It's a firm flex shaft optimises energy transfer for efficient paddling It's double dihedral blade ensures an unrivaled grip on the water boosting your surfing, racing and touring performance Ocean Specific sponsors and promotes UK surf and race culture, supporting athletes and adventure racing teams, including the Shack team competing in this year's Yukon 1000. And they're committed to providing professional grade equipment at an accessible price. Visit oceanspecific.com today to explore their range of high performance paddles, hardware and apparel. And the links to all of our sponsors are in the show notes. So tell me a bit about uh, 2019 to 2023 then, because <laughs> you've been on an epic journey just to get to the start line, haven't you? Yeah, this, it's
2: like, this feels like, this. you know, dare I say, this feels like longer than the 1,000 mile actual race is going to feel. Um, so we were, we applied back in August, 2019. Um, we were looking for a, something to do, a sort of race to do um had never heard of the, uh, the yukon or, or the race itself we're doing some googling um and after a couple of years one thing led to another we found the, the yukon river quest website um oh, this looks good. this is interesting you know, you know this looks great It's 715 kilometers up to this place called dawson on this cool looking river and you know and then there was just, there was something in the copy that said it was something like the second longest uh canoe kayak and paddleboard race in the world and then it was like oh me I didn't know, the, you know That's the second. <laughs> what's, the, what's the longest? And then, you know, you Google you know, longest canoe race in the world, and yeah, the Yukon One Thousand come up. Um, and we had a look at it. We put our applications in, um, and to, I'll be honest, kind of didn't think anything of it. You know, you know, we we didn't necessarily have the pedigree or experience at the time to, to, to do the race. We filled the application form in very very honestly. Um, the vetting process we knew would be strict we thought well you know put it in see what happens um and then we had a few questions back and forth and then we got confirmation uh yeah it was august 2019 that we were accepted um at the time i think there's only three other paddleboard teams that had done it in previous years um and there was a period of probably a month of like blimey <laughs> do we actually really want to do this um i mean um it's a story i've told many people but you know we'd go out and do. T- training paddles and cramp up after an hour and a half two hours and i still look at photos and videos of us like in like the september october of 2019 and i'm like look at myself i'm like what am i wearing you know I'm like uh, it's like you had no idea Uh, if i could tell myself back then like you have no idea what you're doing um which is incredible really because i think it just shows that you know half the thing is going for these things and it's incredibly uh, we're, we're far more capable than we probably think if we chuck ourselves into something. So, yeah, so 2019, comes in. 2019, 2020, um, training's ramping up. We're starting to get distances. You know, what we learned in that period of time was incredible. We were really focused. Um, I'm not going to dwell on what happened. We all know what happened in uh, March 2020. Um, Understandably, uh, it meant that the 2020 race was cancelled. So we had a summer of, uh, you know, sunshine and paddling in the UK. Um, and then again 2021 it wasn't the cards towards the end of 2020 but really everyone knew that you know international travel was still you know tough enough into to to normal places but the remote places so yeah 2021 was then cancelled again because of covid um and then we got to 2022 um what's quite interesting i guess over that period of time we still continued to train work on our kit so actually you know Being a filmmaker, I've documented everything ourselves as well. So, you know, I can see the evolution of our training, our equipment, uh, what we were going to take, what we thought we needed, which we no longer needed uh, as we found new things and discovered stuff. So kind of like we kept thinking, you know, we didn't park it each year and not look at it. Um, But that was also quite mentally tough as well because you're kind of, you're almost always on the, are we going, are we going? No, we're not. You know, so that was tough. Come around to 2022, everything looked good um headed out to Whitehorse uh, about seven eight days before the race to kind of climatize and buy the last bits of stuff that you can't take on the plane like bear spray and you know uh, gas canisters and bits and pieces and um yeah so about a day day in Whitehorse after we landed i just felt so tired my arms and legs were so heavy and uh it was we put it down we're like it's just fatigue you know it's the stress of traveling it's you know it's, it's It's not too, it's a long way to travel over to Canada and a small plane up into Whitehorse, but you know, it's it's okay, but it's still jet lag. And and obviously, the stress of the race, what you're building up to, and when you get to Whitehorse, like you particularly, I mean, I think everyone will have their own experience, but we've been looking at this place for for nearly three and a half years online. And it almost felt like we knew the place before we'd even got there. (laughs) But then when you first see the river, and particularly because of the high water, and you see how fast it was moving, and so yeah, there was a lot of kind of mental stuff going on as well. So I had, you know, I felt so tired and fatigued, but I put it down to the stress of traveling and the the anticipation and uh, of the race itself. But as the days went on, I was just feeling worse and worse. And um, uh, one night, Skip and I was like, look, you know, maybe I was too stressed. Maybe we should go out for a beer, have a burger, just try and chill, chill out, you know. And uh, it was, this was like two or three days before, we went out for a burger and a beer and... Uh, that was nice, um, but that evening, back in the hotel room, I just had uh, the, the sweats and shivers all night long. I didn't sleep a uh, single second. Uh, I don't think I've ever been so cu- felt so cold in my life. I, you know, I was wrapped up in all the kit we had taken, all our emergency stuff. I was, you know, um, in the morning was like, look, you know, at this point, I still know what it was, but I knew I was ill. You know, so went for a walk uh, into some fresh air. Picked up, and I thought you know, went past the pharmacy. We had a lo- The good thing about this race is, you know, we went f- with bags of drugs. Mm. <laughs> we, we had painkillers for everything, so like I didn't need any of that stuff. But I just grabbed a. I don't know why I didn't even think about. It. I just grabbed a COVID test from the pharmacy. Went back to the hotel room. Thought it's not COVID. It's fine. But I might as well just put that out of the mind. Did a COVID test, and actually at the time it come up with one line. You know, I thought let's see, there we go. I'm fine. Um, you know, I need some rest. Skip like that. I'm gonna go out for the day. I'll leave you to the hotel room and get some rest. I went back to bed for maybe an hour or so. Got up to go to the loo and walk past the, the test which I'd done, and there was two lines. Um, did another test, and then there was two lines that come up really quickly. Um, so at that point, um, obviously things escalated very well. I say escalated, but uh, very quickly it became apparent that you know the way I, why I was feeling as I well was was because of I've picked up COVID. You know, never had it before, never had it since. Um, uh, you know, in my line of work, over over COVID, I was traveling. I, you know, I was one of, I say, lucky people, but because of my work, I do a lot of travel f- filmmaking as well. You know, I traveled during lockdown uh, officially, as uh, with permissions. You know, yeah, you know, I t- t- took precautions, but like just got on with life. And yeah, um, that's what it was. Um, and it was a, it was an easy, it was a tough decision, but also an easy decision. And as much as you know you're going to places once you leave whitehorse you're going to places where they haven't even had covid you know these are tiny communities if we needed help um you know i'm not it, it's you know um and likewise skip you know we've been traveling together sharing hotel rooms you know if he developed it two or three days later when we down the river and he felt as bad as i did when i was in a nice warm nice hotel room so it whilst it was the hardest thing to do it was definitely i stand by the right thing to do um mm. so i had to, had to self isolate um and yeah so that was our 2022 race finished with um but some things happen for a reason
0: well uh, (laughs) absolutely and uh yeah but it must have been so phenomenally disappointing after all of those years how how was skip i mean sounds like he's quite a phlegmatic character he's uh takes it all in his stride
2: well i think that's the hardest because for me it was I just want to got it. You know, Mm. I'm ill. I can't do it. You know, it sucks. It's horrible. And everyone's all the family support home. To be honest, is like you know, oh my god, Craig. You know, you know, parents are messaging you. Your friends messaging you. Skip's being you know supportive. You know, he's gutted for me. But like, I think there's a lot to be said about that. What he was going through because he was ready. You know, he wasn't ill. You know, he was the one. You know, went and got another hotel room. But like, was seeing the teams getting ready for the you know to leave the next day was at the briefing that he should we should have been at um and i'll never forget that i mean like it's uh, unsung hero it's not even a hero thing it's just like i just don't think you can probably appreciate what he would have had to have gone through Mm. um and we're we're great friends so I, i kind of knew what he'd be feeling but like we knew we'd deal with it at some point at some point we'd have a chat and we would let those emotions out and kind of get it out. But that, that wasn't the time. So Skip went into a bit, I guess, went into a bit of an autopilot mode, um, mm. which is why we works So, you know, so he obviously organized with the organizers that, that we were scratching and pulling out, um, sorted himself out hotel room so that we didn't have to, sh- to share, was bringing me food deliveries while I was locked in my room, you know, leaving yeah. the packages outside and giving a knock and running down the corridor um, and making sure it's looked after. But like, um, uh, you know, glass half full and all that it's like he made some great contacts and friends and mm-hmm. and it worked it worked out you know we got an adventure out in the end um, yeah. but yeah i think it's uh, it's incredibly tough on him and i think it's been a tough on us both it's been a very long 11 months getting back to where we are now
0: yeah well and um, certainly your relationship would have been tested because i think that's one of the things about this competition and we'll, we'll talk we'll start talking about 2023 um because one of the things that's clear from both my conversation with, with Bart Svart and also with John is is it's that relationship between the two members of the team, which is really critical. And, and clearly that was a test. I'm sure you tested it in other ways previous, but I can't think of any situation more, more challenging than that with all of the lead up to it. But obviously you've prepared for the UConn 1000 on Three separate occasions now, I guess. So, so what what's changed? I mean, obviously, you've already mentioned it changed quite a lot from your first um, start of your when you initially started training. But how has the training changed over the last year since your disappointment in twenty two? Okay,
2: so the last twelve months, I guess, what was what was great about or when you when you're trying to pull positives out of what happened in twenty twenty two? First and foremost, uh, we proved that a lot of our kit selection and our processes and our um, our planned way of doing things was on point. Our mapping mm-hmm. was, on, you know, we got an opportunity to see yeah, our maps. You know, we, you have to make make your maps yourself. You know, you have to study maps. I studied Yukon maps uh, for, you know, for three, four years, you know, made our own maps, made our own notes and to get out there and be like, yeah, these, these were, these would have been perfect. You know, we know we've got this, so we can put that away, park it. Um, yeah uh kind of the our board selection um yeah you know this is going to work this is good you know we're on the right thing here so there's that um then the opposite actually we probably had a bit too much stuff um you know we didn't really need this and like you know a lot of the feedback from the rest of the teams you know it's like didn't need this took too much of this so it's like cool okay so let's let's remove let's look at how we're gonna you know reduce our stuff so i think it was really reassuring um you know to get out there see the river paddle We, you know we paddled a bit on the river after I got better you know 20k just to go down the river and just get our feet wet paddles wet um to see some of the scenery um to kind of kind of see just how incredibly amazing and vast and remote the country is and feel comfortable with that so that was always a thing you never quite know whether uh, how you're going to deal with that I mean John often talks about the big green and when we're so connected every day to everything and mm. you know online for everything and you know, I, I went we went last year for nearly four weeks about any kind of communications you know satellite phone at the bottom of the bag for emergencies but you know off grid for three four weeks and bloody loved it you know and like it kind of so the reassurance i think it's like our prep for three four years is bang on point the kit everything a few refinements training wise um I think we've been a bit of of an interesting journey on the training, and um, you know, I've always trained since I was eighteen for different things. You know, I've always been in the gym. Um, Then I would, you know, I I, I, I'm very active, but I move around things. So then I started kickboxing, then I was kite surfing, then I did the whole CrossFit stuff, and then paddleboarding um, after a kite surfing injury, uh, and then paddleboarding endurance suddenly took off with this Yukon. So in the twenty nineteen twenty twenty um i got really into the science of of training for endurance racing and really looking into that um during uh 2020 when my film production work was obviously almost non-existent um i did all my qualifications for personal training uh sports nutrition just more just because i was really interested in that side of things and then of course that then influenced our training again because i had always more wealth of knowledge um and then it becomes very apparent that Skip and I are very different. And one of the things I learned is, you know, what works for me is not going to work for everyone else. So we all have our ways of doing things. And so I think what's happened in the last 12 months is we've both really chilled out about how we train things. Uh, I think probably before last year, Skip would be looking at my Garmin stats and being, probably thinking, maybe I should be doing more. You know, he's been out and done a 10-hour paddle here, then he's running here and he's in the gym here. And then like, uh, but I think we realized actually you know, it's a very interesting event. It's You know, you can over, you know, don't do the race before the race. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, and it's about being injury-free, feeling fit and healthy. But that's different for everyone, you know. F- feeling fit and healthy is not going out every week, smashing out uh, hundreds of kilometers in the gym. It's, you know, you're going to burn yourself out. So I think it's, yeah, the last year, I think, we've just chilled out a lot on a lot of things and done our, thing, done our training our own way. Uh, we paddle together. We paddle on our own. Um, and I think we're, yeah, in good places.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And so you don't want to go into the race overcooked, do you? And presumably no. you're begin- going to be tapering, um, yeah, having a couple of burgers before you go, all of that sort of stuff <laughs> to build up a bit, bit of timber.
2: Sorry Simon, it feels like we've been tapering for the last 12 months and I've been uh, I've been beefing up on the burgers for the last 12 months. Excellent.
0: Well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm not a nutritionist, folks, so don't take my advice here, but uh, nothing wrong with a bit of carb and, uh, and burger no. <laughs> loading. So so just in terms of the team, I mean, the team is absolutely vital. What roles do you and Skip respectively um, play in the team? Have you divvied up the duties?
2: Yeah, so I think um, we, we – uh, well, before the race itself i love logistics analytics lists planning skips much more of a freer going type person as you, you know um so it's very easy which just left a lot of that stuff to me which i love so it's yeah. not a case of burdening with me because i'm you know it's what i like doing and it's what makes me feel comfortable at the race and confident that and then i then present to skip you know here's what i've done and he's like yeah happy days you know, he's cool, you know <laughs> if i'm happy he's happy so which is great and that works really well because so i think if it was two of the same people and someone else trying to do my logistics planning as well uh, you know so but when it comes to um the actual race itself i mean first and foremost uh, not one person should have one skill set the other one doesn't you know so mm. cross training has been really important because there's no point in skip knowing what to do um you know if i get an injury uh if it's Skip it gets the injury um and vice versa so we we're kind of like we've divvied up the kind of stuff that we probably naturally are good at doing. So like I've done all the mapping over the last two or three years. So it makes sense that on the normal, you know, the normal river plaid paddling, I'm the one keeping an eye on the mapping and where we are. But Skip obviously will be fully aware and trained on the map so that if I'm having a break or whatever that you know, mm. he's on it or even just like if we need to make a decision, we both can do it collectively. Um it's the responsibility is not on one person. Um likewise for making camp you know like uh, just making sure you know we've got little crib sheets um i don't want to give too many tips away but we've like you know when you've been paddling for nine or eight days for 18 hours and getting like two hours three hours sleep a night it's gonna be really easy to forget stuff you know you can I me. Mean, i forget stuff just if i have a bad night's sleep at home so you know we've created these little crib sheets laminated crib sheets in our pfds of all the things we have to do when we arrive at camp and all the things we have to do when we leave camp. So, like, if you've got that kind of fog, that tired fog, when you're a little bit you're, – you're a bit kind of grumpy of each other, you know, you're tired, you're bleary-eyed, it could be pouring of rain or you're getting bitten by mosquitoes or whatever, mm. it's like you can look down and be like, okay, yeah, you know, I've not paddled off leaving all our food still on the beach, <laughs> um, you know, or we've arrived at camp and I've checked for bear prints and I have tied the boards up and they're not going to float down the river. There's lots of little things. So we've created these little crib sheets. Um so we, those crib sheets we have individual roles, but uh, just as easily we could just cross over and cross train everything as well.
0: And what were your gaps? Because obviously you, you both got paddling background, so, so you know apart from the fitness, obviously you got yeah. that one dialed in. But what about your bushcraft and so on? What have you had to work on?
2: So Skip Skip's kind of have that dialed down. His background, uh, you know, he's he's he's, you know, he's he's an outdoor instructor, runs an outdoor um, adventure camp. You know, uh, scouts scout leader or you know lots of you know he so he's got that stuff dialed down um so he's been you know we've done times together with each other where he's been educating me you know just like basic things like fire, building fires i mean as, mm. as i'm we all think we love to build fires <laughs> um but like learning for that um so there's a lot of just bushcraft around i guess just um how to just be sensible in environments where there's tiredness knives flames wild animals um and just kind of get your mindset so there's been a lot of that kind of cross training we're actually doing a course in wales um about two weeks before the race like a final kind of adventure bushcraft uh, first aid course Mm -hmm. to kind of like just fill any gaps in it's a three-day course up there so i think the main thing has been and and other medical they're just the first aid side of things we're both you know qualified first aiders and and um and i've uh, more lifeguard qualifies for that but this is a very different type of first aid so we've been filling those gaps in you know this is not textbook and uh, online course or you know lifeguard type first aid it's yeah it's a little bit more to it than that
0: so a lot of this is going to be flow and water dependent but which which areas of the race do you think are going to be the most challenging and and how do you plan to manage those
2: so uh we did a call with bart back in 2019 actually um when we were first actually applied for I think it's before we actually accepted our place but we were doing it like bit of due diligence like Jesus what have we got ourselves in for and I think Skip had a contact that got a hold of Bart and we or Skip had a chat with Bart and I think it's, Bart made one comment that you know, if you make the lake you make the race um, so the first thing is Lake Lavage. Mm. so the lake is um, you hit it on day one it's about uh, 30k at 20k outside of Whitehorse um, and it's about uh, 50k long um, it's its own microclimate. You know, if you're lucky, it'll be flat. You might have a little tailwind. You stick to, the, stick to the right-hand side, though. Don't go up the middle because just as quickly as it can be sunny, uh, you can then have two, three-foot waves coming at you from the side. Uh, you have thunderstorms. You might need to get off the water as quick as possible. Um, I think the lake is the first big challenge. Uh, and it's just a slog. It's just a slog. You know, you've mm. got boards loaded with lots of kit. You know, you are, going to be slogging it out so i think the lake is challenge what <laughs> getting there's challenge one but uh, and getting there without covid is challenge two and then getting on the river and getting across lake a barge so yeah so we break it down so uh, lake the barge is, is the first part of the route the, the, the route that's going to be the challenge after that it gets narrow 30 mile river it starts getting faster again you're back into the flow um and yeah depending on the river levels you know as the different rivers tributaries join onto the Yukon it picks up speed Mm. um so you can't plan I mean people say to me oh you've got to finish it in under 10 days that's 100 miles a day so what's your target each day and you can't you've just got to. again Bart actually said this Bart was like you you can be on the water a maximum of 18 hours a day make sure you're on the water for 18 hours a day and if you do that and just keep moving even if you've got Eighteen hours of headwind one day across the, through the flats, the river's still moving the way you're going, so you will make progress. Um, so I think yeah. So I think the lake is is one big one. Then obviously uh, Five Fingers, the rapids. Um, it is the only real sort of set of rapids on the, the, the race. Um, it's notorious. I think probably it, it, having seen it last year, we went and looked. We sort of went and looked at it from the cliffs, looking down. And last year, because of the river levels, it was mm. fast. But you are through it in, you 20 it in fifteen twenty seconds, um, and on a paddle board, actually, that's probably the best thing to be on because yeah. you can just get down to your knees, ride it out, get through the standing waves on the far side. If you go in, it's very quick and easy to get back on. Um, you know, when I, when I see the guys in the canoes and kayaks, you know, when they go in and it's upside down, they're they stay the gears in, fighting they? up. they they um So I think five fingers is. I think it's probably more because of its reputation. Don't do yeah. wrong, or my heart rate will be going. You know, tens of a dozen, but I think the reputation probably precedes. There's actually another set of rapids just past there called Rig Rapids. Uh, but you can get around that by, uh, you hang a hard right, you can just miss it totally. Um, and then you came on from there, the White River joins. And that when the White River joins, you get all the sediment. It's volcanic ash. And the river changes a lot then. It it's, goes from glacial water, which you could just dip a cup in and drink from, mm-hmm. um, to it, look, it looks white. It looks like milk. Um, and you can hear it on the boards it just it's like a rubbing like it's like sandpaper and everything your water filters uh it it just clogs up everything um it's it's not necessarily a challenge but it's just it changes the way you yeah the conditions
0: yeah the conditions absolutely so and and the flats obviously um it is is the final stage (sighs) when you're um when you're you know reaching that level of fatigue you're hallucinating I mean, I don't know whether you thought about yeah. how, how you deal with the fact that you see a s- Sasquatch out there in in the forest, but uh... there
2: was—I mean, the stories I've heard from speaking to people—they've seen beef burgers, big, beef, giant beef burgers in the middle of the river. They've paddled after someone they thought was fishing, they just yeah. never got close to it. So you cut that—the the things you can't train for um, are sleep deprivation. You, you can't you can't train yourself for sleep deprivation. You know, yeah, you know, putting yourself through you know that back home thinking you're going to train yourself it's not going to work and things like hallucinations Mm. like um so i think it's having an open conversation with your paddle partner as well because you're going to hopefully go through these things at different times to each other
0: yeah
2: (laughs) Uh, so you can pull each other back round or give each other a rest you know like um yeah just go to your knees let's just put the boards together for a second i'll keep you know you just get you get your time but yeah It'd be interesting.
0: Yeah. And I was hearing a story from one of the female SUP teams last year, who, by the way, mentioned you as, as their favourite uh, team on the <laughs> water, even though you weren't on the water. But uh, <laughs> she said that she was settling down for sleep uh, one evening and she was having problems sleeping anyway. And she auditory hallucinated a brass band playing next to her tent and didn't get a, a wink of sleep. So, I mean, it's, it's just downright bizarre, Mental. isn't it?
2: Yeah. yeah
0: mental yeah so so um looking ahead you've got this huge landmark and huge achievement ahead of you so what are your goals and your expectations for UConn 1000 and this has already shaped you as an individual I guess already but what do you think you'll be saying um that the ways in which it's shaped you when you reach that bridge
2: oh well, that's a that's a an interesting question um so, so for- I, obviously goal one is to to, to, to get it done. Mm. Um I say that is the goal. Um it is a race, but um I'm trying to well I think we've kind of been blinkered around it, it's a race and there's three other paddleboard teams I believe. Um but they are not our competitors as such. They are also our safety blanket as well as we are their safety blanket. Um so we're out there supporting each other to do the race. Uh we're not going out like we want to win this or we don't, we're going to get to that bridge. That's that's, that's our main goal, to get to the bridge safely. Uh, obviously do it within the 10-day cutoff mm-hmm. um, and enjoy it. I mean, like, um, you know, at the time I'm sure it's going to suck in many ways and it's going to be great in many ways. And so know that when the times are low, the good times are coming. And when the times are good, the bad times are only around the corner. Yeah. Um, so I think that's all we can expect from the race itself. Um, it's amazing to know the support we've got from people back home but also people from last year's race you know, the people from last year's race we've known since 2019 a lot of them were mm. accepted with us so there's a there's a bit of unfinished business i think for some other teams you know there's a couple of other teams that are actually coming to see us off at Horse, which is incredible um so there's a bit of responsibility on our shoulders to make sure we don't get get a reason to pull out again so um <laughs> so, yeah so i think that's that's you know the, the goal is to to make the to to, to the finish line and i'm really i'm confident you know when i we've done everything we can um we cut we're, we're chomping at the bit to get onto the river you know I bet you are. everything's ready the kit's there it's kind of like it's like actually now this these last few weeks are uh, painfully slow in many ways you know yeah. like it, once you start the journey once you're on that plane kind of like once you're off grid as well it's, it was an amazing i can't say enough about it's hard to explain the feeling you get when you are totally isolated and Miles from anywhere, and you've not seen—you know—you've not seen the news or spoke to anyone or seen any kind of social media for three, four weeks. Um, it's liberating, absolutely. So I think I'm looking forward. To, I'm really looking forward to to that again, to to having that time alone with your own thoughts. Um, as to how, well, I think it's changed us already in many ways, and massively. Um, you know, going back to what I said earlier, if I look at my training and prep and video clips from 2019, it's like it's like a different person um and so i think everyone should do something that pushes you out of your comfort zone at some point that you know i think it's amazing this it proves that you you know we have yet to do this but the journey's been amazing about you mm. know put, put this way i mean i think i think strike me down if the event got cancelled tomorrow for because the river's closed or whatever it's still been an amazing journey that we've learned so much from um so i think it's about I, this sounds cheesy um but it is the journey. Um, you know, not the destination necessarily. But I think the other thing that's a bit worrying is how we feel afterwards. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because it's been a big part for, you know, three and a half, four years. And it's like, um, and that's why I'm hoping the documentary will fill that gap a little bit
0: absolutely it's that post expedition blues isn't it so yeah. really need to to load something into that gap and then just just very finally craig mm. you had a very nice voice message from <laughs> ross edgeley um i think i think we all know ross edgeley we will we, we'll um talk through who ross edgley is but just tell us a bit about that um about that uh message
2: yeah. so yeah it's, it's it's so um there's a there's a as part of the prep for for the race and just generally being interested in ultra endurance uh, training and racing and uh, specifically because um, what I love about it is the older you get, the, le- the more level the playing field is, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, endurance is so many things uh, that you can train and get ready for that like it, it levels a playing field. And so you know, I did a lot of reading books and following people. And uh, Mike Stroud is one person that um, I read a lot. Uh, of um, his book um, Survival of the Fittest is incredible he he was Sir Ranulph Fine's doctor so did the whole uh, um, North South Pole unassisted um, so read his book and Ross Edgley obviously legend Ross Edgley and I, I'm part of a few forums um, where he frequents and uh, his own training platform I was on there and he just asked people like to leave messages about some of their challenges they're taking on I just mentioned this one and it obviously caught his attention and he sent me an amazing voice message which uh which i'm sure you're going to play to your listeners and it was amazing it gave me a massive like lift to hear someone like ross talk about the challenge go off on a tangent about his own insights and thoughts around it and then basically offer his support was uh, was incredible
0: well his enthusiasm definitely shines through <laughs> i mean that the man who swam around the coast of great britain you know what an incredible character but uh, yeah quite a message
1: yeah this is immense. I was not expecting that a 1,000 mile unsupported paddle race in the Arctic. Oh, that is... I mean, I've been up there a few times. We were in the Lofoten Islands with Disney when we were filming up there, but it is stunning, but brutal, which I know you will know. That is brilliant. Also as well, what I love, the hybrid programme as well, which was almost developed... I know with um, a lot of the British rowers when I was at Loughborough University... And um, also Oxford, Cambridge, and then even uh, Land Rover Bar, who have since changed to to Ineos, the sailing team that 's one thing that I borrowed from them, which is that training to train, and I think the hybrid program is just going to work so well for that all round athleticism, but more than that work capacity and I talk about that so much in the blueprint for adventure like athletic adventures like you're setting on. It's so important. I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I love the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. And I always find with, uh, Admanson and Robert Falcon Scott in the race to the South pole, like granted, there were so many, uh, tactical strategic errors that, um, uh Robert Falcon Scott made but one of them I I always come back to was was work capacity as well you know with a even with all of the mistakes that they made with a higher work capacity would they have made that final feed station so I sorry I'm going off on a complete tangent I do apologize I cannot wait to see this unfold uh please please post like pictures and everything like that and then also as well if it's for charity or anything else um or just even just like inspiring people please let me know and 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 if i could uh share it on my social media i always talk about this especially with the entire super community we've got some absolute specimens in here so i'd love to share stories if of course that's what you wanted um across my social because i just think so many people will be interested in this and like i said whether it if it's for charity that would be amazing and if not just to inspire people so uh yeah sorry long message but i just uh i love this one
0: big thank you to Craig and we'll be speaking to him again in other episodes as we get closer to the start of the Yukon 1000 in Whitehorse and of course after the race. If you wanted to follow Craig, Team Shack or other teams then check out the show notes accompanying this episode And please make sure that you follow SUPFM Podcast on your podcast player of choice and further information will drop into your feed as soon as they're released. And next week, we're speaking to two out of the four SUP teams competing this year as we get closer to this epic challenge.